Okay, so I'm here with Elle Hunt, and Elle is a reporter at The Guardian, and throughout 2015 she's been covering a lot of happenings in the internet and social media and memes, and we're going to have a chat about 2015 in those categories. Elle, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And so you, you arrived in Australia in January from New Zealand, and pretty much the first thing that, that hit you mm. was the Taylor Swift Hottest 100 mm. controversy mm. that uh, BuzzFeed started. Talk us through what happened there. Um, well, I probably, in hindsight, um, approaching a year on, wasn't very well prepared to be wading into that. I didn't really understand the um, scale of the following of the Triple J Hottest 100 and the place it occupies in Australians' hearts and minds. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically, what as I saw it, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, because you all know more than, about this than me, um, BuzzFeed Australia started a campaign to have Shake It Off included in the Hottest 100 countdown. And um, despite it not having been on the play, play so, roster, right? So, uh, according to the Hottest 100 rules, mm. which nobody really knew until yeah. this happened... You only are eligible to be in the Hospital 100 if you have been played on Triple mm. J. And uh, Mark DeStefano, a reporter at BuzzFeed, mm. uh, he wanted to vote for Shake It Off and realised it wasn't on the list. Mm. And then he wrote it in. Which, which you can do. Which, which there is, is a mechanism yeah. for writing it in. Mm. And then he wrote an article encouraging other people mm. to also do this yeah. that went viral. Yeah. Um, and it sort of threw... I guess the thing that I found interesting about it and which outraged me on, fresh off the plane from New Zealand was that it threw into um, relief these sort of dichotomies that I thought we'd thrown out between like high and low culture. And it, it struck me that Triple J was this kind of like fortress indie rock kind of, you know, we don't listen to pop music. We, we prioritise like male guitar bands over anything that's actually mainstream, whatever that means. Um, so I was very outraged. <laughs> there were, did you sense that there, there was a, like an element of the, the sex wars involved in it? Because um, you do mention that male, yeah. male voices do tend to dominate the Hottest 100. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think looking at the statistics over the winners and what has been prioritised in the past I think that's pretty indisputable um, like there's never been a woman to win right apart yeah. from only so uh, the Cranberries Dolores yeah. O'Rin one was Zombie and, and Angus and Julia Stone uh, Julia Stone and uh Spider-Bait, yeah. Janet English, does sing some songs right. for Spider-Bait, but doesn't sing Buy Me a Pony. You know when you're getting like to the point where like there's a woman in A-band and they won 20 years ago that it's probably not representative. So I think, and the, so there's that point where, yeah, a woman alone hasn't won the, the Hottest 100. But there's also the people who were most aggressively defending Fortress Triple J were men and the kind of like... And I, I spoiler alert, I was one of those people. Yeah, I know. And I, I can respect some arguments against including Taylor Swift. Like, Triple J completely has um, a right to serve one audience at the exclusion of others. But I think as an exercise, it, it flushed all those people who were just kind of like, they don't like things that are popular and they don't like... And remember, I think it's important to remember, at the start of 2015, Taylor Swift wasn't the universally beloved character that she was, like she is now. Um, so, like, I remember writing about her and people just being like, who is Taylor Swift? And we've never heard of her, but now it's kind of, she's like the, the biggest the, pop the, star the in the The explosion world. really did start with towards the, the end of 2014 with Shake It Off and then Blank Space. Yeah, um, but it, the media coverage of her and the kind of, like, um, oversaturation at this point began when the tour kicked off in May. 
So it's only in the last like six months that you've been able to read a Taylor Swift story on any media platform every day. Um, so yeah, like January, she was only just starting to, to take off, I think. Um, but yeah, it just it just felt like um, these people coming out and being like, you know, that the. the such the aggressive resistance to it was just like making people more passionate about it. At they could the have time, handled it better, I think. At the time, I didn't think. I, I think that I didn't understand the the sexual politics of it. Mm. And I've actually had an epiphany through the year. And yeah. I now do think that I I, I I still don't think Shake It Off should have been in the Hospital yeah. Hundred. But I do think that there isn't. Uh, we have to have some sort of affirmative action if we are going to correct the, the imbalance because it goes upstream as well mm. in that Triple J needs to play more female yeah. artists so that there well, are more to vote for and record companies need to sign more. Yeah, and, and the other thing is is that Taylor Swift's fans are mostly female and Triple J's listenership, I don't know the audience figures for that, but the people defending it in January were seemed to be mostly male, like that guy who started the Change.org petition. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it seems to it seemed to be high and low. Often, like high and low culture, often does discriminate along um, gender lines. I think. I think a lot of people through 2015 learned more about what privilege means. Yeah, and, uh, that's the internet, isn't it? The, the internet yeah. has been helping us with that. And the second big uh, trend that we were going to talk about mm. also involves Taylor, and that was when the VMAs mm. nominations came out. So that was a few months later. This was in July. Yeah. The VMA nominations for Music mm. Video of the Year were Bad Blood by Taylor and Kendrick Lamar, 7-Eleven by Beyonce, All Right by Kendrick Lamar, mm. Uptown Funk by Mark Bronson, Bruno Mars, and mm. Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Mm. And Elle, someone didn't particularly enjoy not being nominated. Tell us yeah. what happened. Um, it was interesting. It was, um, I guess, the first Twitter spat between celebrities of the year, the, the notable one anyway. Um, and like I said, by this point, by July, the 1989 World Tour was underway. Taylor Swift had probably, I think, the most nominations of any artist across <laughs> the VMAs um, and was sort of at that point where she was clearly the biggest pop star in the world on the scale that like we would have seen Beyonce like 2012, 13 mm-hmm. like she's obviously yeah like the most well known at this point um, but Nicki Minaj when the video nominations came out um, tweeted, I can't remember the precise wording of the tweet now but it was something about um, good to see if you look a certain way and you, you have a lot of skinny white women in your video you'll get a nomination um, and Taylor Swift jumped in and was like don't be something again I'm paraphrasing don't be like that I've always done nothing but support you blah 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 um, obviously Nikki hadn't it was a subtweet and it was clearly aimed at Taylor Swift because she was the only white woman in that category because it was obviously Beyonce as you said but I guess the other point is is that the other nominations were all men so they didn't you know they weren't Nicki Minaj's Anaconda video Either, so it wasn't completely directed at Taylor Swift. But I think she did Taylor read Swift wrote back some of the lines of maybe one of the guys took your yeah, spot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. That, that that's interesting because it plays into that that sort of socialized yeah. feeling that men sort of stick up for each other while women yeah. tear each other down. Yeah, and that's what Taylor Swift was clearly getting at. And this was sort of again this year, and sort of she'd started positioning herself as a feminist commentator, that sort of thing. Um, but really, like, yeah, you didn't see Bruno Mars replying to Nicki Minaj's tweet. You know, like it was, it was she was inserting herself into it, mm. and she did so very publicly. And so the coverage of this obviously became, you know, a Twitter feud between Nicki Minaj and Taylor Swift. They eventually made up, 
um, did Nikki Taylor ever Swift get pulled apologized. on stage as a best friend? They did, yeah. Not on the 1989 World Tour, but I'm pretty sure at the VMAs themselves, oh, they did nice. a duet. They opened it together. Um, so they seemed good. Um, and it was over and done with fairly quickly. But at the same time was my other Twitter event. It was about, yeah, it was almost concurrent. It was a very big month. <laughs> July is, well, it's yeah. summer in America, winter in yeah. Australia. So and all sick. of the award shows, yeah. yeah. So then concurrently... This, this antagonism between Meek Mill and Drake. And Meek Mill and Nicki Minaj are a couple? Yes. Yeah. And, so and Drake and Nicki Minaj obviously go a long way back in a label mates. So awkward situation. A lot of people probably... A lot of people might know who Drake is, but a lot of people won't know who Meek Mill is. So yeah. do you want to give us some background? I don't even really know. Like This was the most... Like, the most press he's had this year was for being Nicki Minaj's boyfriend and then for having a feud with Drake. Like, he's... So he... Uh, he's he not... Uh, he, comes from, he comes out of Philadelphia. Yeah, he's not a he, big, big He released deal. his first uh, studio album this year called Dreams Worth More Than Money. Mm. And it was sort of like the most anticipated rap album of the year up to that point. No way. Well, no it, way. It's debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Like, yeah, for, for a new, so. hot new artist. Yeah. And on it, there I, I is just, a track... Yeah. It's a track called Rico that Drake mm. guests on, and mm. well, Meek Mill threw one of the worst um, accusations you can throw at a rapper. What did he accuse Drake of? Well, he accused Drake of not of writing not writing his own raps, like getting Quentin Miller was, wasn't it, um, to do to be a ghostwriter. But when you say um, one of the worst accusations, I don't think it is anymore. I think um, this was another thing where. Obviously, Mink Mill was of this older school of, of thought where it was, you know, the author, the auteur theory where you're writing your own raps and on, like, refill and taking them into the studio. But I think now it is much more of a kind of collaborative thing, mm. particularly, like, with Drake with his OVO crew and stuff. Like, you know, he's never existed in a vacuum. Um, so, yeah, like, Mink Mill, obviously, he revealed this apparently out of irritation that Drake hadn't tweeted his album, which is very sad. <laughs> like, that's, very, well, that's a very petty thing uh, to do. Drake is the 20th most followed person on Twitter. I know, so but if Drake you, doesn't have to tweet anything. Like, you know. I, my dream is when I have Drake promote something I've done. I know, yeah, but don't ask and definitely don't, um, don't punish someone for not tweeting your album. For some of our older listeners, Drake is a, <laughs> a, 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 well, a black Jewish Canadian rapper who used to be on Degrassi Junior High. And the greatest man alive. And Elle is a, is a noted he's, he's fan. He's my, my number the, one. After this, after this uh, feud blew up, yeah. uh, Drake did the only response possible, mm. which was... A diss track. A diss track. And then another diss track. Yeah. And I think he ended up doing three. And they were all pretty good. Like, he, he made his goal to be, you know, make a diss track that was played in the clubs and Meek Mill couldn't escape. And he did with, um, I think, Back to Back. So he did... He did Charged Up, was back, it, and then yeah. Back to Back. And, and there's another one. Hotline Bling. No, Hotline Bling wasn't a diss track, but he did bring that. There was that was, another the, that one. was concurrent to it. It was around the same time, and it obviously went huge. Um, that's probably the first time a viral track mm. that's just sort of been dropped, that seemed to have been written and recorded in 12 hours, it's has sort of, gone. Well, that was an interesting thing, because it um, was based on a track by Dram, I think it is, or D-R-A-M, which Beyonce had Instagrammed. And then Drake sort of sort of pilfered for Hotline Bling, and it was like this situation where small act, which Beyonce can put in the back of a thirty-second Instagram clip, Drake can kind of co-opt as he does, and it's a massive hit everywhere. And then a meme, you know, with the video. It's yeah. Like, what a time to be alive! It's brilliant. 
I know What a Time to Be Alive was mm. Drake's album with Future. Future. It's a, that's yeah. become a bit of a meme itself. That, yeah. Well, I guess they Hotline Bling's still in the charts and, and Meek Mill's not. Yeah, I, the best thing about the whole Meek Mill thing was how Drake was just dropping these tracks and clearly, so clearly winning the feud that it was almost a bit like, um, you know, it's a bit uh, gauche, you know, like he needed, it was like that's, that clip in The Simpsons where it's like, stop, stop, he's already dead. It's like dead. Yeah, a man kicking a dog. Yeah, exactly. Where Drake it was just kind of like Drake was proving himself to be a little petty. But the best bit was like, there was a silence from Meek Mill and everyone, the memes were very good at that time. The internet was was alive with, with the, the feud. Um, but then Drake just, you know, Meek Mill puts up this Instagram, like a sort of sponsored post of like what teeth whitening strips. In the middle of this thing, like the only activity he had online was well, that. Commercialisation is, is a key component of rap culture. I, it was just, it was like he'd had a, a scheduled post that he'd forgotten to delete. It was so good. The uh, right in the heart of, of this feud mm. was the was Drake's perfect day when the Liberals won the Canadian election, the Blue Jays <laughs> won a world uh, a, yeah. a baseball playoff match, and also the Raptors won. Yeah, was, what a time to be Canadian. What a time to be Canadian. And obviously they have a hot new Prime Minister now. Yeah. The, uh, with a 50% <laughs> women candidate. Very good. Now, a few months after uh, Drake's feud with Meek Mill, mm. we, we had the the Twitter event of, a, of a, the year in Australia, which was uh, Malcolm fail. Turnbull overthrowing Tony Abbott. It all started at around about two in the afternoon when mm. Malcolm left Parliament, walked out into a courtyard and announced that he was he'd asked Tony Abbott to have a spill of the Liberal leadership. And from that point on, sort of all the news coverage just stopped what they were doing, took the, the spill, mm. but there was so little happening on the actual show that the internet had to entertain themselves. Mm. And El, as a New Zealander, this was the first time you'd really experienced Australian yeah, it was great. political intrigue. I, I, was, I was hoping, when you move to Australia, you hope for a spill and you don't have to wait long. There was an attempt in February, but it didn't come off. I can't remember who led that one. That, that, was, go, when the, so that was when the backbenchers, yeah. actually one of those backbenchers later died oh. and, and um, Tony Abbott had to, you know, eulogise a man who tried to overthrow him. Uh, it was a backbencher revolt where Tony Abbott almost lost to an empty chair. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, that was the problem, wasn't it? Where um, there there wasn't a strong contender. It was Tony Abbott and no confidence, right? It was, yeah. It, yeah. Only if the empty chair had won would Turnbull yeah. then put his hand up. Right, yeah. But no. this time... They moved know. faster and they had, yeah, like, the last time there was too big a gap between the declaration and the vote, right? Yeah. And, and that was able for Tony Abbott to this one it moved as you say so fast like about 2pm I remember um, one of the editors at work just spinning around in his wheelchair and being like it's on and someone being like it's on and then it, as you say like it was an interesting situation because it was only really busy for the production staff at the Guardian and the Canberra team like the reporters went home on time because there was nothing to say or do and you got straight onto the internet to follow the memes. Yeah, love the memes. In, the Twitter came onto its own just because it is disproportionately journalists and like hacks <laughs> and communications professionals. So there was a hashtag, um, libspill, and obviously the evergreen Ozpol. But yeah, it was good. My, my favourite of the memes that came up was a, a Melbourne committee named Ellis Phillips put a bingo card mm. up on Twitter where 
you could cross it off as as um, as these phrases were mentioned and every single row of the bingo card had stopped the boats and then the bottom row was simply stop the boats yeah and i'll put i'll put a shot of this up on uh, up on my blog for you to look at but it was what i think it was the best moment of the of the uh, of the night and the yeah spill. and it was so easy to keep up with that because as you say like there wasn't much to say until i think it was announced after nine maybe yeah it was but yeah it was just the... a lot of shots live footage of a corridor and a man standing outside a door the through through the end of the year, mm. one of the one of the key phrases that came into came into normal usage was the term Netflix and chill. Oh yeah. Now, what does it mean if you receive a text message that says Netflix and chill? It means an invitation to come around and have casual sex, and specifically, like it's not. Yeah, this has been something I've had to explain a lot, um, and have seen misused a lot. Like. Obviously, it's a bad phrase to misuse. If you don't know what it means, don't use it. Um, but yeah, like to con- like if I was uh, to send a text saying, "Come over and we'll find something to watch on Netflix," that isn't the same thing. That is me literally inviting you around to watch Netflix. But Netflix and chill. It kind of was born, I guess, of. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know really how it became a meme, but it was just—it's just the language that teens use to kind of like a euphemism. Well, back mm. in my day, we used to. <laughs> I didn't receive many, but we used to send booty call question mark. Oh, okay. You and actually wrote it out like that. Well, but, bloody hell. Well, that was that was considered a <laughs> euphemism. The, Whoa. Uh, yeah. Well, and now uh, Netflix took over. But there's something about the phraseology that really captures the imagination. I feel. I remember um, my friend in New Zealand um, babysitting like some kind of like I think they were like nine and nine and eleven. She didn't really realise. She'd seen it like going like you know that look he gives you midway into Netflix and chill. And she was like, oh, let, like tonight, let's just Netflix and chill. And these nine and eleven-year-olds had to be like, no, we're not going to do that, and tell her what it meant. But yeah, it's I, I still see people using it, not realizing what it means. I, I do wonder about people who are sending out uh, text messages like Stan and Chill or Presto and uh, Chill. Yeah, no. Or- I've seen brands get onto it like Pizza Hut and chill. It's like, back off, brands. Leave this. It's not about Netflix. (laughs) What music streaming service do you use? I um, recently switched after maybe three years of Spotify Premium, which I enjoyed very much and have no real complaints with. I've moved to Apple Music. And and how do you find the Apple Music experience since it it. debuted mid-year? It's improved since it yeah since it launched. Initially, you couldn't make tracks available offline or save them easily, which was the best feature of Spotify with the um, starred playlists Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But they have improved that, and I really um, I'm giving it a go for a fixed period of time, and might go back to Spotify, which I like I say had no complaints with. But I do enjoy the Beats One radio stations, and often put those on. It just kind of takes the hassle out having to choose what to listen to, and it makes me discover more new artists. So instead of uh, paying roughly $10 a week to mm. listen to Apple Music, you weren't tempted to go over to Tidal and pay $20 a week to help the richest month, musicians... Right? $20 a month, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, a month. Yeah. To help the richest musicians <laughs> in the world make more money. Yeah, I think Tidal... I remember. I don't think I even picked up the trial. I, I wasn't particularly swayed by the artists. Um, and... 
So you're like a big Drake was, fan. So the yeah. fact that all these artists were apparently co-owners with Jay Z and mm. Madonna and uh, Drake. I think Rihanna's but involved. Drake Arcade launched Fire. Apple Music, and Drake's got an OVO show on Beats One. You know, like you know, Drake's more Apple. But yeah, I hadn't had any complaints with Spotify. And looking at the brief look I did at the UI of um, Title, just did not look, didn't grab me. Do you, do you have any theories about why Title failed so badly? Um, I do think that Jay-Z's point about like, you know, it takes ages for anything like that to, to gain traction is fair and we don't I haven't I don't think we've seen the last of it. But I think it was they just didn't really gauge the mood of the world where, you know, having getting Madonna on stage, Daft Punk to sign thing, that, that doesn't that doesn't move people to, to switch allegiances to services, you know? Like no one's really bothered that Madonna isn't getting her fair share of well, her I cut. thought it was the, a bit musicians, tasteless, really. the musicians that Jay-Z brought up on stage to launch mm. Tidal, they seem to be the only ones that are still making money from the music industry and it was like, yeah. we want to make even more and while yeah, it the, was, it was the hip new cool guys are still working in a bar to make ends meet, to pay studio fees. Yeah, it was tone deaf and yeah, people just don't really care about really rich people getting richer, particularly when there's other services that have a better catalogues anyway. Um, and if you compare that to how Taylor Swift subsequently challenged Apple on streaming for um, payment royalties for the artist during its three-month three trial period, that was so much better in terms of she was addressing the people who could affect a change. She wasn't doing it for herself because she's already very wealthy. Um, you know, like it wasn't about it was. She wasn't trying to get people to switch over to a different service. You know, to benefit. It was. A, it was. Yeah, aimed at people who could. Taylor make a Swift's difference. most underrated quality is that she understands how the internet works. Oh, and Drake does, and that's yes. why they are where they are now. Taylor Swift's a bit. Mm, she's not as savvy about it, I think, just because she still obviously has much more of an offline life, mm. or what she wants you to think is her offline life with her friends and her Instagramming, and you know, she she doesn't live on the internet so much as Drake obviously does, I think. Elle, thanks very much for joining me to discuss the no, year in good. the internet. What a year! Um, what, yeah, it's <laughs> nice going over these highlights. What uh, What were your favourite songs and albums from 2015? Um, well, I have a Facebook thread where I keep up with the year of pop music with my two friends in New Zealand, or one's in Melbourne, and we were discussing, there are obviously two strands, I'm sure you agree, where it's like the most ubiquitous song of the year that you have to give, like, the objectively is the song of the year, and then there's like your favourite, and it also depends on what, you know, whether you, um, like obviously 1989 was huge this year, but it actually came out last year, it's like depends on the hard and fast rules you bring out. My... I'm dying of Spence here. Can you drop some <laughs> names for do, me? I have to do a lot of caveats. Um, what were your favourites? I reckon objectively the song of the year for me, and I, obviously I can say this, um, was Where Are You Now by Jack Hugh feat Justin Bieber. Um, which And Jack Hugh is Skrillex and Diplo. Um, it was initially on that Jack Hugh EP, but then it came out on purpose in November when Justin brought yeah. out his record of contrition. So Where Are You Now, I reckon, is the biggest song of the year. And it just really seems to kind of define that sound, like, post-dubstep. Um, you know, the, the the New York Times doing this incredibly lavishly produced video on its making of. You know, like, it was just... It's a, it's a banger. Well, it, it was another of those songs that 
it came out probably a good three months before yeah. the video came out. And a before, bit like Bitch Better Have My Money. Exactly, where yeah. You sort of, where unlike Rihanna's song, uh, Where Are You Now was still popular when the music video came out. Whereas And it just, it, it snowballed. Yeah, like, it, I it don't increased think, its popularity yeah, rather than being a squib. And partly that was because of Justin Bieber's huge campaign in the lead up to his album release. Like, I feel like they put it out on that Jack Hugh release kind of not to bury it but they didn't know how the public was feeling towards Jack, um, Justin Bieber at that point like if it wasn't a success it wasn't attached to him but then it obviously was and they were able to include it on the new album public feeling towards him was improved you know I think it was a bit of a soft launch for purpose and what are some other favourite songs of yours from the year? Um, my, this is where I get into the, you know, the technicalities where I love Trap Queen, but Trap Queen was from 2014, maybe even no, early 2014. It's 2015. I don't think it is. Check it, check it out. I'm pretty sure it's not 2015. Uh, it's certainly been counted it, as 2015 for the purposes it may have of been, this podcast. Yeah, I think it, it definitely Trap Queen by was re-released. Yeah. Um, so Trap Queen. I love um, I also love Sorry by Justin Bieber partly because it's a New Zealand dance troupe in the video so it makes me feel very patriotic um, te- Blank Space I reckon was the, the highlight of Taylor Swift's 1989 from last year obviously the single was released this year um, yeah I reckon that's a very good pop song I like Your Type by Carly Rae Jepsen um, and I like the Jamie XX feet, Young Thug and Pop Khan. I know there's going to be good times. And your favourite album of 2015? I was, uh, well, I think the streaming era has kind of cut into my album listening time. Um, I very rarely start at track one and finish at track th- like 13 anymore. But um, one that stuck out for me was Carly Rae Jepsen's E bullet point Mo bullet point Sean very stupid title but um, you can look at that just as emotion I think I <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. Oh, all no, in I caps bullet points etc um, yeah more more hits than not on that I reckon well, thanks very much for discussing music are you able to please introduce the next song in the countdown for us the next song is Trap Queen by Fetty Wap <laughs> 